Hey everyone, welcome back to the More Plants Podcast. I'm so happy to have you listening in today. Today we're continuing on the series we started in our last episode in which we're talking about all of the reasons why so many people are making the change to going vegan or making more plant-based choices. We covered our health in our previous episode, and today we're going to talk about the environment and how it is connected to our food choices. Hi there, and welcome to More Plants, a vegan podcast by Bramble that helps you start, continue, and enjoy eating plant-based for your health, the animals, and the planet. I'm Kim Sujawalski, your host and certified plant-based cook and educator. In this podcast, you'll find all the practical tips, resources, and support you'll need to make your journey easy and sustainable, no matter where you are along this path. To learn more about our online courses, recipes, and blog, visit bramble.com. And now, Let's dive into today's episode. Out of all of the reasons to be vegan, the effects of our animal product consumption on our environment were so absent from my mind before going vegan that I simply had no clue the two were linked in any way. I had never taken a single moment to think about what it means to raise an animal we in turn use for food. I had been eating my steak and my roast chicken, and although I knew it came from an animal, and I honestly tried not to think about that part, my thought process never went beyond my trip to the supermarket where I would find neatly packaged fillets sold on the shelves. I had just never stopped to ponder what it took for that meat to arrive at my table. And yet, when you think about the process, it's so easy to see that for that steak or sausage to be sizzling in your skillet, a lot of things have to happen first. I am going to focus on environmental resources today as we will cover animals in our next few installments. But here's the gist of it. The animals that are raised for food need to be fed in order to grow until they are slaughtered. This means that food must be grown for them to eat. So let's start there. Thousands of acres of land, and it might come as a shock when I tell you where a lot of that land is coming from, so stay tuned. But all of these acres of land need to be cleared, that means deforestation, in order to grow grain and soy to feed animals, many of whom shouldn't be eating grain as it's not their natural diet. These crops need not only land, but water and lots of it. They need to be planted. They need to be grown, watered, harvested, then transported to the feedlots and factory farms. And here, animals are fed these crops, but of course, one animal needs to eat much more food than the amount of food it will represent when it lands on your plate, meaning it needs to eat every day and drink water every day. But when it is killed to be served as food, it weighs much less than all of the food that had to be grown, transported, and given to this animal. Keep in mind that this food, this water, this land, and the carbon emissions produced from transport could all be used directly for growing, watering, and transporting crops for humans. Instead, what we're doing is we're using precious resources to raise an animal that will only feed a few. 
We'll talk more about how veganism can help our fellow humans in an upcoming installment in this series. So let's continue with what happens next. While these animals are being raised, there are many environmental hazards. One of them is manure and waste. These facilities raise so many animals and produce so much waste that it has become extremely difficult to manage. In many occasions, this waste is kept in outdoor lagoons, which although they should be lined to prevent pollution, this job is often done poorly or is insufficient and so much of the waste seeps into the ground, contaminating soil, rivers, lakes, and taking a toll on neighboring communities as well, as not only the smell can be perceived for miles and miles, but some farms have the practice of spraying the waste on fields, which gets into the land and homes of people in nearby properties. It can easily get into the food supply of fruit and vegetable farms if they're nearby. And as we've mentioned previously in the series of episodes, foodborne pathogens can also get into other food sources like fruits and vegetables. Another one of these hazards, especially in the case of cows, but also all other land animals raised for food, has to do with greenhouse gas emissions. Not only carbon dioxide emissions, but there's another gas that is even more powerful in trapping heat in the atmosphere, and that is methane. At a rate that is approximately 23 times higher than carbon dioxide. And its leading producer, at least in the United States, cows, pigs, chickens, and turkeys raised for food. Can you guess in what way? In the gas that is released from the digestive process that these animals have to digest the food they eat. Keep in mind, and this is why these numbers are so staggering, that these are billions and billions of animals every year. And sadly, grass-fed cows, which you'd think would eliminate some of the other environmental hazards, like growing all that grain, for example, contribute much more to methane emissions than cows raised on grain feed because of the cow's digestive process. Nitrous oxide is another gas that is nearly 300 times more powerful than carbon dioxide, and the meat, dairy, and egg industries produce 65% of the world's nitrous oxide emissions. 65%. Regardless of what your stance is on climate change, a reduction in the animals raised for food would decrease a huge percentage of these emissions, and it doesn't have to come from governmental agencies or policies or climate agreements between countries. It can come from our own daily actions. I think that's pretty powerful. As more and more people make this change, not only are we reducing the demand for animal products, but we're raising the demand for plant-based products, fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes with a lower footprint a lower use of natural resources, as you'll soon see. This doesn't mean that these products don't have consequences or issues or use up environmental resources. And of course, they still need to be grown and transported in order for them to reach our homes. But the reduction of these environmental consequences being in our very own hands, I think that's great news. It's impossible to have a zero impact diet. And we aren't reaching for perfect, but eating more plants reduces this impact significantly. It of course needs to go hand in hand with letting go of the government subsidies on the meat and dairy industries. That's 
a whole other topic for another day, but it has to go hand in hand with this. But it's something that we can do. It's something that's in our hands. It's also important to remember that the issues surrounding animal agriculture and the environment not only refer to emissions, but they have to do with land degradation, air pollution, water shortages, water pollution, loss of biodiversity, and much more. Let's take a quick ad break so you can hear from our sponsor for today's show before we continue with that process of getting that steak on our plate. This episode is brought to you by our online course, The Roadmap. The Roadmap is an online course that will help guide the way if you're newly vegan, thinking of becoming vegan, or wanting to take more steps in this direction. Module by module, we take you by the hand through every step, covering topics like finding your motivation and having the right mindset when making this change, to how to build a nutritionally balanced plate, how to shop, prep, stay on budget, plan your meals, travel, get organized, and navigate every social situation as a vegan and so many others. There is no stone left unturned, and we do it all with that approach you love so much, in which missteps are welcome, and there is no such thing as perfection. And of course, it includes the most delicious recipes and menu ideas. There is so much more included in this course, so head on over to brownwell.com forward slash the roadmap to watch our video trailer, to see the full list of modules, lessons, and recipes, pricing, and more. Again, that's bramble.com forward slash the roadmap. Now on with the show. After the animals have reached age and especially weight for slaughter, these animals also need to be transported and taken to the slaughterhouse. That means more carbon emissions from those transport trucks. Then once the animal is killed, the meat is rendered and packaged using more resources. It needs to be transported to supermarkets where it is sold. Again, more carbon dioxide emissions. Sometimes slaughterhouses aren't in the same location as rendering plants. So this adds one more step in the chain in some occasions. All of these steps, when from the very first instance, that farmland could have been used to grow potatoes, rice, beans, fruits, broccoli, carrots, peas, pumpkins, tomatoes, lettuce, and all of the things in the plant kingdom that we can thrive on. All of those pounds of fruits and vegetables could have been used to feed individuals, not individual cows, chickens, lambs, and pigs that would then be killed to feed just a few. So, this is just a very simplified view of the process. Do you see the picture? I tried putting it in very, very simple terms, and we'll certainly discuss the implications of this for humans in an upcoming installment of this series. But now that we know the basic idea of the process and all of the stages involved, let's talk about some figures and stats so that you can see the scope of the problem. Let's start with the use of water. A vegan diet requires a third of the water and a third of the land to be produced when compared to an animal-based diet. According to the BDA, the Association of UK Dietetics, plant-based or vegan diets need just one-third of the fertile land, fresh water, and energy of the typical British meat and dairy-based diet, with meat and dairy being the leading contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Reducing animal-based foods and choosing a wide range of plant foods can be beneficial to the planet and our health. By the way, 
all of the resources, all of the sources I used, all of the additional reading material that I recommend checking out that I'm going to be mentioning, all of it will be linked. So make sure to dig in. There is much more there than I could fit into this episode. According to the United Nations, worldwide agriculture accounts for 70% of all water consumption compared to 20% for industry and 10% for domestic use. According to the Stockholm International Water Institute, and I quote, it requires 15,500 liters of water to produce one kilogram of beef. This can be contrasted to 180 liters for one kilogram of tomatoes and 250 liters for one kilogram of potatoes. The virtual water we eat, i.e. the water needed to produce the crops on our plates, constitutes the majority of all water we use and can be as large as 4,000 liters of water per capita per day. If more consumers changed to less water-intense diets and chose, for example, pulses, vegetables, and grains over meat, a lot of water could be saved. I just feel I need to repeat those numbers because it is staggering. 15,500 liters of water to produce one kilogram of beef versus 180 liters for a kilogram of tomatoes and 250 liters for one kilogram of potatoes. It's just too staggering to grasp. It's unbelievable. Now let's talk about land and crop use. According to a very important resource that I will be linking to, the report Livestock's Long Shadow by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, possibly one of the most important reports done to date to warn against the repercussions of our current animal agriculture system. I quote, Livestock production accounts for 70% of all agricultural land and 30% of the land surface of the planet. That means 70% of all agricultural land is not being used to grow crops we can eat. And considering the astounding number of people on this planet struggling with hunger and food insecurity, I think this is an important thing to think about. Instead, that 70% of agricultural land, meaning land where crops can be grown, is being used to grow food for animals, which will then be killed to feed only a few. Another issue I haven't mentioned yet is that not only does deforestation occur, but guess where in the planet these massive areas for growing grain and also as used as pasture for animals are being deforested, mainly the Amazon rainforest. I still remember the class I had in elementary school where we were taught that the Amazon was one of the world's most precious resources. The lungs of our planet, my teacher called it. And since my home country of Venezuela shares part of the Amazon rainforest, this was and still is a great source of pride for us. We were told about the dangers of this massive deforestation in this very special part of our world, and not once were we told, or is it said anywhere, that the food our food eats is the reason behind most of this deforestation. Not only that, but countless wild animals and plant species are being destroyed for this purpose since these areas are, of course, natural habitats to thousands of species. This has led to species endangerment, species extinction, along 
all the other issues I've mentioned. According to the Vegan Society, and I quote, the vast amount of grain feed required for meat production is a significant contributor to deforestation, habitat loss, and species extinction. In Brazil alone, the equivalent of 5.6 million acres of land is used to grow soybeans for animals in Europe. This land contributes to developing world malnutrition by driving impoverished populations to grow crash crops for animal feed rather than food for themselves. These giant areas of the rainforest that are being cleared for livestock and livestock feed are also suffering a huge problem, and that is soil degradation. What is soil degradation in a nutshell? It's the fact that both from erosion and degradation, animals walking over this land again and again, for example, and especially from growing the same crop in the same area, which is grown to feed animals, these lead to such poor conditions in the soil that some areas have and will continue to become desert-like land, meaning nothing will be able to grow from this land in the future. This is incredibly dangerous. Farming 101 teaches you the importance of crop rotation and even the fallow season to ensure the protection of the soil, something that simply isn't happening when it comes to food crops for animals. We could instead grow food directly for humans, incorporating crop rotation as most vegetable farming does, and skip the middle animal. Do you see how all of this system uses resources and calories to feed one animal, which will then feed us with far fewer calories when compared to the calories the animal had to eat? It's not only a draining of our resources, but also in my opinion, it's just ineffective. It's inefficient. We can skip the animal and go straight to the crops, which by the way, would protect the soil more when planting a variety of crops for human consumption and which would use a third of the land. Let's move on to those greenhouse gas emissions. According to the United Nations report, Livestock's Long Shadow, which I mentioned in reference to climate change, the livestock sector is a major player responsible for 18% of greenhouse gas emissions measured in CO2 equivalent. This is a higher share than transport. That means that our consumption of meat contributes more to greenhouse gas emissions than the entire transportation industry, which is astounding to me since all the focus the media puts on this is recommendations to drive less and to carpool and to walk to work and in the case of water usage, to take shorter showers, when in fact, all we had to do was look at our plate. It's a much bigger impact. It doesn't mean you can't do all of these other things as well, but that I think we would have such a big impact when we look at it from our plate's perspective. From that same report, and I quote, Livestock are responsible for much larger shares of some gases with far higher potential to warm the atmosphere. The sector emits 37% of anthropogenic methane with 23 times the global warming potential, it's called GWP, of carbon dioxide, most of that from enteric fermentation by ruminants. It continues to say it emits 65% of anthropogenic nitrous oxide with 
296 times the global warming potential of carbon dioxide, the great majority from manure. Livestock are also responsible for almost two-thirds, 64% of anthropogenic ammonia emissions, which contribute significantly to acid rain and acidification of ecosystems. I do believe there are difficult issues pressing the world today that need direct attention and resolution now, especially when it comes to more urgent matters in the developing world, when it comes to war, to violence, to access to education, to reducing poverty, to improving healthcare, and more issues regarding a reduction in human suffering that are urgent and that are important. And I know it's hard to make changes based on future outcomes that feel so intangible, but if these numbers could change as ripples simply due to personal habit changes you are already inspired to do, this is great news in my book. Knowing that there's something in my hands within my reach, even if I'm not perfect, and I'm certainly not, I still drive a car and I water my lawn and I, you know, I sometimes buy fruits, vegetables that aren't local to my area. We all do these things. I am still doing so much more than I was before. And I have that power in my pocket with the purchasing choices I make and the companies I support or don't support without having to wait for change to come from anywhere else but my own choices. And with every choice I make, I try to make a better one. And I learn from the mistakes I make. And I try to learn more about other issues. It's very empowering to feel that some of these changes could be in our own hands. I think we can do our best to do as much as we can if we choose to do so, of course. Another problem is our fast-growing population and the increasing demand for meat and dairy products. According to the Vegan Society, and I quote, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations predicts that by 2050, world meat production will have almost doubled as the Western taste for meat, eggs, and dairy products continues to grow. This trend will continue to contribute to global warming, widespread pollution, deforestation, land degradation, water scarcity, and species extinction. More animals mean more crops are needed to feed them. The planet cannot feed both increasing human and farmed animal populations, especially when there will be between 2 to 4 billion more human mouths to feed by 2050. We are just too many people. We're just too many people with a system that is not sustainable when there is another way, one that would free up thousands of acres of land that could be used to farm crops that could directly feed more people when we skip the animal that we're putting in the middle of the system. We will get deeper into the fishing industry when we talk about animals, but fishing has become one of the biggest environmental hazards affecting biodiversity, species extinction, coral reef destruction, especially in the fishing of shrimp, clams, and other smaller sea animals with great repercussions on the people who live in coastal regions. It causes the escape of farmed fish, affecting wild populations, the use of explosives, yes, explosives, and even poison for fishing in poor developing countries, and much more. According to environmentalscience.org, and I quote, 
In addition to removing an increasingly large number of fish from the ocean, many industrial fishing practices also destroy aquatic habitat. Dredging is a practice commonly used to harvest clams and employs a large metal scoop that drags along the seafloor to pick them up. The process also churns up sediments along the seafloor, causing them to become suspended in the water column, decreasing water quality. The practice can also dig up burrowing worms from the sediments. These animals are important because these burrows increase contact between sediments in the water. This returns nutrients to the water, where they are used by microorganisms in nutrient cycling. Without these burrowing animals, waters along the seafloor can become depleted of oxygen and uninhabitable. I chose this as a very small example. It's a very tiny example. And perhaps not as big or as important as some of the other statistics that I've been sharing, but I chose it to show you the impact a small alteration in biodiversity can have in the long run. Altering water quality and creating dead zones would mean dangerous consequences to us down the line, as well as in the short run for populations in the developing world in coastal areas. According to the UN report, when referring to the livestock sector, and I quote, it is probably the largest sectoral source of water pollution contributing to eutrophication. That's an excessive accumulation of minerals in the water, which leads to excessive plant and algae growth and creates an environment with very little oxygen that can produce loss of sea life. Dead zones in coastal areas, degradation of coral reefs, human health problems, emergence of antibiotic resistance, and many others. The major sources of pollution are from animal wastes, antibiotics and hormones, chemicals from tanneries, fertilizers and pesticides used for feed crops, and sediments from eroded pastures. One very comprehensive study by University of Oxford researchers published in the journal Science in 2018, it's titled Reducing Foods Environmental Impacts Through Producers and Consumers, highly, highly recommend. I'm linking to it um, along with this episode. It has been one of the most comprehensive studies to evaluate the impact of our food system on different environmental variables. They gathered and analyzed data on the multiple environmental impacts of 38,000 farms producing 40 different products that together represented 90% of global calorie consumption, so the products that are mostly used by humans and consumed by humans around the world, 38,000 farms around the world, in a meta-analysis comparing various types of food production systems. The study included looking at greenhouse gas emissions, water use, loss of biodiversity, acidification, eutrophication, land use, and more. And it showed that, and I quote from the study, Impacts of the lowest impact animal products typically exceed those of vegetable substitutes, providing new evidence for the importance of dietary change. I'm going to repeat that. Impacts of the lowest impact animal products typically exceed those of vegetable substitutes, providing new evidence for the importance of dietary change. This meta-analysis study also stated that, and I quote, the impacts of animal products can markedly exceed those of vegetable substitutes to such a degree that meat 
aquaculture, eggs, and dairy use approximately 83% of the world's farmland and contribute 56 to 58% of food's different emissions, despite providing only 37% of our protein and 18% of our calories. You'll find the link to the study abstract linked, but if you like to geek out into the science like me and read the entire article and study, the full article with specific statistics on each crop and all of the recommendations can be found by registering in the site that I'm providing, or uh, this is what I did, if your local library has access to scientific journals online, you can easily find it. And that's a great resource that we often forget about. A great way to find some of the full reports and the full studies that sometimes aren't available for free online. The study also goes into areas and possible changes in farming practices that could be implemented to reduce environmental impact, showing how there is so much space for improvement and a way to start shifting these numbers for the benefit of our environmental system and also the efficacy of production, which is wild. We could do both things. I could go on and on with statistics, resources, and I'll be adding further reading, including all of the articles mentioned. And a book I recommend everyone read is the book, This is Vegan Propaganda and Other Lies the Meat Industry Tells You by Ed Winters, with so many statistics, studies, and recommendations that go into much more detail, taking into account comparisons with eating locally, grazing, cows grazing in grass-fed farms and comparing the statistics between sort of making these choices and making vegan choices and how even with these changes, the biggest impact comes with the reduction of animal consumption. And the bigger the reduction, the better. I think with this brief summary I've given you today, very brief because I could have had five full episodes on all of the studies that have been done and all of the information that is out there. But I hope that at least with this, this is sort of an opening into the topic that you get the picture. When we eat animals and animal derived products, our food needs food. Our food needs water and land. Our food's food needs water and land. It takes a lot of resources to raise just a few food sources for humans when we eat meat, dairy, and eggs, when we now know that our health can thrive on a diet in which we go straight to the source. This, of course, doesn't even take into account what to me is the biggest impact of all, and that is the effect of these farming practices on the lives of animals. We will talk about this in the next few installments in the series, but I hope that what I share today helps inspire you. It helps inspire you to do your own resource research. It doesn't mean that there aren't some plant-based products that also need improvement in terms of production practices, but with everything I've shared, with all of the information that I've read and that is out there, eating more plants is where it's at to doing our little bit to help our environment. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you in our next installment when we talk about the animals. 
Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us reach more people who are interested in making more vegan choices and need some support. Remember that you can find all of the show notes, links, and many additional resources for this episode in the description below. And of course, don't forget to visit brownbull.com to learn more about our online courses, recipes, and blog posts. Till next time, everyone.